and I would like to introduce Dr. Compton. Okay, so Dr. Jared, uh, he serves as the Assistant Professor of Greek and New Testament Theology at Bethlehem College and Seminary, and it's a post that he took up here in 2020. Do you remember a big event that happened then? Okay, he and his family moved here in the middle of lockdown. So he, I, I, you know, got to know us while we were covered up like this with our masks, okay? But before coming here, Jared served as pastor for discipleship and pastoral training at Crossway Community Church in Bristol, Wisconsin, and assistant professor of New Testament at Detroit Baptist Theological Seminary in Allen Park, Michigan. He received his PhD in New Testament from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School under the supervision of D.A. Carson. You might have heard of him. Now, Jared loves teaching and preaching the Bible and training others to do the same. You remember he preached from Daniel a couple weeks ago on a text that was so difficult that the commentaries said, don't try to preach a sermon from this. And Jared respectfully disagreed, and he pointed us to the incredible goodness of, of God and his very specific knowledge of the future. And he assured us from that very difficult passage of a couple of things. Maybe some of you can remember what those things were. You remember the big takeaways? God is good. God is for you. God is never frustrated. He is sovereign, right? Okay. So this is the kind of guy that Jared is. He wants us to get in and to know our Bibles, and he's going to help us as we dive into the parables. He loves thinking and talking about how the Bible fits together and how we fit into the Bible's big story. He also loves, he says, and sometimes hates writing. So he's written lots of articles, and he even has three books, right? And you can probably get them at the bookstore here. All right, so buy now... Buy them in bulk. he says. Maybe he'll even sign them for you. <laughs> he, <laughs> he has served on editorial boards, and um, he's just a, a member of different societies. He's really a, a, he really knows a lot, right? But best of all, he's been a Christian for over 30 years, and he married his best friend, Charisse, for nearly 16 years, and he's been telling dad jokes for 14 years. <laughs> so Jared and Charisse and their three children are Asher, Jude, and Haven, and they live in Arden Hills, and we're so glad that Jared and his family are part of the North Campus. And so welcome, Jared. Well, that was sweet. Thank you for saying all those nice things. Most of them are true. <laughs> you know, I, it made me think while Pam was talking about how Jesus says, remember the disciples come back and they're super excited that all the demons that they were able to cast out and miracles they were able to do. And what, did the, what does Jesus say? Don't rejoice that the, all that great stuff happened through you. Rejoice that your name has been written in the book of life. So that's kind of how I feel when somebody talks about it. That's how we should feel, isn't it? Yeah, God lets us do all kinds of things. But the best thing about us is we are God's sons, God's son and daughters. So um, thank you, Pam. So I've been looking forward to this. Um, I got to do this last night to a group kind of just looked a lot like you. We were full like this. So this is a joy to me. Thanks for inviting me uh, to be able to speak to you. There are so many qualified women that are teaching this summer, so I feel kind of special to be included in this group, so thanks for the invite. You guys know this, but Miss Pam works really hard for the good of our church. You know this. Okay. So I'm going to scoot this a 
closer. She works really hard. She just finished a big old study on Exodus, and before the ink was even dry on that study, Pam is sending her on notes about this summer study. I know she's busily working on next spring study already. So not even just the fall, but she's thinking towards the spring. So she gives her life for your good. So I know you know that. I know many of you express your thanks to her, but pray for her. Pray that God would sustain her. Pam, I hope you're around to do many, 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 many more Bible studies. So thank you for what you do. We love you. So I wanted to start by saying that um, I've got a little task before me today. I'm supposed to introduce you to uh, the parables that Jesus taught. There's 46 of them, and I've got to talk about three, introduce you to 46, all in the space of 30 minutes. Easy peasy. So let's get started. Um, if you've got your Bible, I hope you do. Why don't you open your Bible up, find Matthew 13. So Matthew 13, uh, we're going to be looking at the whole chapter. We will read about half of it, but find Matthew 13. I'm going to begin reading in verse 10. So make sure you've got your Bible open and out and ready to look at for the next couple of minutes. Let me read. This is the word of the Lord, Matthew 13, verse 10. Here we go. This is what the Lord says. This is what Jesus says. So Matthew 13, verse 10. Then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them. To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they, do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, this is Isaiah 6, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive, for this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Verse 16, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Now verse 24. He put another parable before them. You'll remember he tells, and you probably have the heading in your Bible, he tells the parable of the sower. Now here in verse 24, he says, he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seeds in your field? How then does it have weeds? 
And he said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, less than gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. Verse 31. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. Now he quotes Psalm 78. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun, in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Let me pray for us. Lord, we are very grateful that you have given us this book, that you sent Jesus to teach us, that you have given us indeed everything we need for this life, and for our relating to you for godliness. So we ask you once again to attend the teaching of your word with your Holy Spirit, who energizes our hearing, who opens up our eyes, who helps us shake off lethargy and, and tiredness and dullness. We want to hear, we, we want to see, we want to understand everything in this book, everything that our dear Lord Jesus has said. So will you help us? You have told us that your word always, without fail, all the time accomplishes the purpose for which you've sent it. So we trust in that good promise, and we ask you to fulfill it once again today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
So a couple of years ago, Sharice and I, that's my wife, she'll be teaching next week. Uh, I think you'll really enjoy it, so make sure you're back. I'm going to check the attendance roster next week. Um, we hosted something called Christianity Explored at our house. Does anybody in here know what Christianity Explored is? There we go. Julia knows. So is it, it's Julia, right? Julie, okay. Julia over here, right? Jenna, okay, my seminary wife. So there we go. Um, we hosted Christianity Explored, which is this wonderful evangelistic Bible study where you introduce people to Jesus by kind of reading through with them, reading through the Gospel of Mark. It's really great. You just get them in the text with you week by week. Uh, they read a little section of Mark. Uh, you come, you talk about it. You watch a fantastic video by this guy named Rico Tice who explains what's coming next in Mark, and then you talk some more, pray, and you go home. And the best thing of all is you start each meeting by sharing dinner together around the table. It's really a sweet time. Honestly, I can think of very few things I like to do more. So we are hosting this study, and we had just read that week for this study, we had just read Mark chapter 4, which is Mark's parallel passage to what we just read in Matthew 13. It's where Jesus says in Mark chapter 4 that he teaches in parables so that people won't understand. We had just read that. We had just eaten dinner at my table, and one of my friends, uh, unbelieving friend who was there, came every week. I still don't know if he knows the Lord Jesus or not, but he was there, and he asked the question that I should have expected he would ask, but I sort of on my back heels, he said, he had just read Mark chapter 4, he said, Jared, why does Jesus say that he teaches in parables so that people won't understand him? That's what Mark chapter 4 says. That's what Matthew 13 says. I teach in this way to veil the truth. Why does he do that? I kind of went like this. I thought, Sharice, I think it's time for dessert. Maybe we can go outside and do something else. That's a really good question, isn't it? Why does Jesus say that he teaches in parables so that people won't understand him, so that the truth is, in some senses, obscured? It's confusing. And ladies, it's really, really out of step with the way most people think about Jesus today, isn't it? If you, if you talked, if people have thought about Jesus at all, he's the guy, kind of one of the bros, who's going around giving people high fives, giving them bro hugs, doing everything he can to be understood. Uh, he's the he gives a master class in teaching every time he opens his mouth, right? That's kind of what we think about Jesus. But that's not the Jesus that we meet in our Bibles. That's not the Jesus that we meet here in Matthew 13. That wasn't the Jesus my friend met there at my dinner table that night. The Jesus we meet here says that parables are meant to veil rather than reveal his message. That's not all that parables are for, and we'll get to that. I'll, I'll clear that up. But Jesus tells us here something that I don't think we expect. Parables are meant to veil rather than reveal his message. And I'm going to ask you, what are we to do with a Jesus like that? What are you to do with a Jesus like that? I mean, doesn't he want us to follow him? Doesn't he want us to understand him? Doesn't he want people to understand 
this vision of reality. That's what he's given us in Matthew 13. That's what he gives us in his parables. It's a vision of reality. That's what his kingdom is. Here's the reality that's breaking into this world. I want you to know about it. Doesn't he want us to understand that vision of reality? That kingdom message? So I may not have been ready for it that night around my dinner table, but my friend, and I suspect now you, are asking the right question. It's the question right at the heart of these precious, yes, they are precious pictures, but ladies, they are puzzling pictures. And we're asking the question right at the heart of these puzzling pictures, Jesus, why are you such a puzzling preacher? What are we to make of you? And I'm telling you, how we answer that question makes all the difference in the world. What are you to make of this puzzling preacher named Jesus? So I'm going to try to answer that question for us tonight in two steps. It's kind of the two main points on that handout in front of you. First, we'll see that Jesus absolutely wants to reveal reality to us. Okay, let your worries be assuaged. Jesus absolutely wants to reveal reality to us. He wants you to see and to embrace and to participate in this kingdom he describes. He does, but second, Jesus will reveal reality to us only. Friends, Jesus will reveal reality to you only if you're ready, postured, uh, amenable, ready to hear and believe everything Jesus says, however puzzling and however surprising. He wants to reveal reality to you. He wants you to participate in this kingdom that he's announcing and bringing about, but he'll do that only if you're ready, if you're postured to receive and accept whatever he says, however puzzling and surprising. So, two points. Jesus wants to teach us about reality. Second, only if we're willing to listen That's where we're headed. Let's start with that first point. First, Jesus wants to teach us about reality. You say, how do you know this? Look at all these parables that Jesus has given us. He gave us 46 of them. He's trying to do something. He he didn't just say a couple of words when he was here during, during his three years of ministry. He gave us 46 parables to say nothing of his miracles and his other teachings and his other prophetic acts. He, he absolutely wants to reveal reality to us. Look at the parables he's given us, the parables that he's taken time to tell us. Jesus wants to teach us about reality. So in our text this morning, he paints three pictures of reality for us. Three pictures. Three pictures of God's plan for humans in the world, which he calls, look at verse 24, God's plan for humans in the world, which he calls, verse 24, the kingdom of heaven. Now verse 31, the kingdom of heaven. Once again, verse 33, the kingdom of heaven. These are pictures of reality saying, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm about. This is what I'm bringing to uh, to pass here on the earth. And here, let me say, all the parables that you're going to be looking at this summer, from here until July, was it, 21st? I know you'll be here for every week for all these parables that you're going to look at. In fact, all of Jesus' parables, they are about this reality, every single one. You say, what are Jesus' parables about? Easy. 
They're about this kingdom of heaven, every single one. They're about God's kingdom. Now, just like the earlier picture that Jesus painted of reality at the beginning of Matthew 13, the one we kind of are super familiar with, the parable of the sower, just like that picture of reality, Jesus paints three pictures of reality for us in our text, and they're each calibrated to the everyday life and experiences of his hearers. So were Jesus to come and tell us parables, uh, he would likely uh, tell us about men and women who were city dwellers, who lived in Moundsview or Shoreview or Vadnais Heights and who um, had suburb-type existence. Maybe he'd say something about uh, uh, industrialization or the twins or something, okay? You see, he would have calibrated to our reality, but that wasn't the reality of Jesus' hearers. Jesus' hearers didn't live in an industrialized society. They were agrarian. So when Jesus paints pictures of reality for these folks, he uses stuff they would have been really, really familiar with, like weeds. You say, I'm familiar with weeds, I know. I know we all, I got dandelions, some enemy planted them in my lawn every year. He talks about weeds, he talks about wheat, he talks about vegetable seeds, and he talks about bread. He calibrates these pictures of reality to the understanding of his hearers. Now, in the first picture that Jesus gives us, look at the heading above verse 24, called the parable of the weeds. In this first picture of reality, Jesus once more talks about the everyday activity of sowing and reaping. In this case, we've got a guy who's out planting wheat in his field. But the focus isn't on the field, on the soil, not this time. Rather, the focus is on what's planted. And what's planted is wheat, but also something else, weeds by an enemy in the same field. And we think, what a jerk. It gets worse. The word used for weeds in verse 25 describes a plant that is virtually indistinguishable from wheat until the wheat matures. Do you see how dastardly that is? Only then, when the wheat's kind of head of grain distinguished it would dis- only when it produced this head of grain would it at that moment distinguish it from the weed that the enemy had planted. That's why we read verse 26. So when the plants came up and bore grain, notice this, then the weeds appeared also. Do you see what's going on there? They grown, and up until that point when it produced grain, your guess would have been just as good as the farmers, which is which? They're indistinguishable until that wheat finally produces a head of grain. You say, ah, there it is. Now I can see the difference. But all of this is only prelude to the story's focus, which is on what do you do with the weeds growing growing right alongside of the wheat? That's the focus. What do you do with these weeds that are growing right alongside of the wheat? The hired hands ask, look at verse 28, Do you want us to go and gather the weeds? And the sower says, verse 29, no. And I think this is the only time in history that anybody has ever asked a weed and that that request has been denied. So do you want us to go pull up these weeds? 
No. Should we weed? No, says the sower, at least not yet. The weeds, they will be removed, but look at verse 30. But not until when? Not until the, say it, not until the harvest. And Jesus says that, and then he looks at us, and he says that, he's looking at us, that is what reality is like. He tells this story, and then he looks you in the eye, and he says, that's what reality is like. That's what my kingdom is like. It's jat. As we kind of scratch our heads and we think, nervous, kind of puzzling, what's this up? As I got two more pictures of reality to tell you. Two quick snapshots, much fewer details. Look at picture number two. But a sower sowing seeds, he's sowing, verse 31, is a, and as everybody knows, Eastern agrarian background, that especially considering what that into. Look at verse 32. It's, but when it has grown, then all the garden plants. In fact, this small start, this small seed, barely visible to the eye, it turns into a tree big enough for birds to nest in its branches. And Jesus looks you again in the eye, and he says, you see, that's what reality is like. That's just like what my kingdom is like. And while we think about that and we say, wait, mustard seed, trees and birds, Jesus, what? Jesus says, I got another story for you. While we're puzzling over that picture, Jesus moves on again, and he gives us the shortest picture of reality yet. And in this one, the lead character, verse 33, is a woman. Because Jesus' hearers weren't just farmers, they were farmers' wives, too. So Jesus engages the women. He doesn't want to leave them out. So here a woman puts leaven in a really big amount of flour, likely grown or made from wheat grown in her husband's field. Now, there's some debate about the precise amount of flour, which is why the ESV simply calls it, you see what it calls it? Three measures of flour, getting it neither wrong nor really all that helpful. Thank you, ESV. But God's Bible version, the NIV, the NIV. Um, sorry, we can talk about that later. Don't send me nasty emails. The NIV probably rightly translates these three measures as 60 pounds of flour, of dough. If you've got an NIV, you see it right there. You see it in your Quest Study Bible there, don't you? Right here. You see it? 60 pounds? All right. So you know those bags of flour that come in five pounds. You guys know these, the gold medal. They're always like chafing and leaving dust everywhere, flour dust. Five pounds. We're talking five of those times 12. You know how heavy those things are. You can carry all those? I don't think so. That's how much flour this lady is putting this dough, this leaven into. That's a lot of flour, isn't it? But curiously, Jesus doesn't just say she put it into the flour. What does he say? He says she hid it. Okay, let me just say a little side note here. When you read surprising things like that in parables, you need to pay attention. Your spidey senses need to go off. You need to say, oof i got to note that. That's surprising. That's unusual. Why did he use that word? 
That is often the way to clue you in to one of the main things the parable is trying to teach you when you come across something surprising like that. And make sure it's surprising because it's surprising and not just that you are unfamiliar with first century customs and traditions and things such as that. You know what I'm saying? It may be surprising to you, but it wouldn't have been surprising to them. But in this case, it says she hides the leaven within the dough. In fact, we see the same word used in verse 35. Look at verse 35. When Jesus quotes Psalm 78, that second line, I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Same word. So she hides the leaven in the dough. Okay, interesting. And once hidden, the leaven, though unseen, starts to go about doing its leavening work. And like the tree produced by the small little seed, the woman's leaven works its way through all 60 pounds of flour, every square inch. And Jesus looks at us again, and he says, he's looking at you, and he says, and that is what my kingdom is like. That's what reality is like. And again, we're kind of scratching our heads and Okay, leaven, that's a lot of flour. She hid it. I'm not exactly sure I know what you're saying. Kind of puzzling. And Jesus is saying, well, do you get it? Do you want to be part of it or not? He's looking at the crowds and at his disciples and at us, and he wants to know, what do you make of my pictures of reality? I've just given you another one. What do you make of it? And like that friend of mine who sat at my table that night over dinner, we're kind of puzzled. And we're wondering, Jesus, why did you say all these things in parables? Do you ever feel that way? Why did you say them in parables? Why not like super clearly, like minor premise, major premise, conclusion, or like a short 200-word DG article? Say it super clearly for us. Why go through the trouble of telling us about this fantastic reality in this way? That's a pretty good question, isn't it? Because that, that then leads us to the second part of our answer. Friends, Jesus wants to teach us about reality, but second, only if we're willing to listen. He wants to teach you about reality, but only if you're willing to listen. So just about three weeks ago, I started a club it's a Greek club at Bethlehem College and Seminary where I teach. And we get together and we read books in Greek. How fun does that sound? Come on, you guys all want to be in? All right, I'll, you guys can be enlisted. Uh, we read books in Greek. It's a way to help uh, new students that are taking Greek, because everybody takes Greek, help them kind of get up to speed, and old students who have sort of fallen off the wagon because they haven't been reading their Greek, get back on. And it's just a way to keep a Greek reading culture alive. And one of the things we're going to do is we're going to give out stickers. But we ain't calling them stickers because stickers are for kids. I'm calling them honor badges. Isn't that good? <laughs> so honor badges. And we're going to give out honor badges for every book of the Greek New Testament or Greek Old Testament or Apostolic Fathers. Any one of those that people read, they're going to get an honor badge. And the, they're going to get, say, a blue honor badge for New Testament, green for Old Testament, 
orange for apostolic fathers, and they'll be sized according to the difficulty of the book. Kind of how cool is this? I know. And they're called honor badges because when you get them, you know what you get to do with it? You take your computer and you go slap. And so now in class, every time your computer's out, you receive your glory. <laughs> you, you get your honor right there. But before members can collect these badges and put them on their computer or on their Greek New Testaments and receive their earthly glory, before that, they've got to become members. And to become a member, there's a condition. You've got to read 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John in Greek, which your husbands have done. They will be just fine. Anybody in here read 1st through 3rd John in Greek already? Well, if you do... Let me know. So they're supposed to read 1st through 3rd John in Greek, and then they've got to go up to the Greek cl club president, and they've got to tell him, I read 1st through 3rd John in Greek. At one point, I had thought I'd have a test that they'd take, but I thought that threshold was a little high. Now they just have to tell him. So they're called honor badges for another reason, because we operate on the honor system. All right, so, and once they say, look, I've read 1st through 3rd John, and they pay five dollars because we got to collect dues to pay for the badges. <laughs> That's don't worry about that. Once they say I've read first through third John, pay their dues. They get a T-shirt, and they can join the club. So why why am I telling you this story? Other than I'm super proud of that club, and honestly, if you want to be part of it, you talk to me, okay? I'm telling you that because there's a condition, just like there's a condition to get into Greek club. Friends, there's a condition to get into Jesus' kingdom club. There's a condition. A condition for understanding. When Jesus speaks, there's a condition for understanding and then participating in the reality that he describes. And the way Jesus teaches... The manner in which he reveals the reality about his kingdom, it highlights and exposes that condition. So there's a condition to understand and to participate. And the way Jesus teaches, the, the, the way he uh, delivers his message is intended to highlight and expose that condition. Look at what Jesus says in verses 34 and 35. See if you can hear what Jesus repeats three times. I'll read it again. Verse 34, Matthew 13. All these things Jesus said to the crowd in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. All right. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Did you hear it? Don't say and or the. No, what's repeated three times is parable, three times, twice in verse 34 and then once in verse 35. Why does Jesus emphasize this? I mean, Jesus, we know. We know you're teaching in parables. We just read three of them. Why remind us about the form that your teaching takes? Because Jesus doesn't want us to forget about what he's already said about the form of teaching, this form of teaching already in this chapter. He has already told us what parables are meant to do. He's already told us why he uses them. Jesus uses them because he wants to see, to highlight, to expose who is and who is not willing to listen to him. Jesus' parables are one way Jesus tests for faith. 
Isn't that interesting? Jesus' parables, these pictures of reality, puzzling pictures of reality, they are one way Jesus, in his infinite wisdom, tests for faith. He teaches in this way. He reveals reality in this way to expose what's in his hearers' hearts, what's in our hearts. And and again, that's not exactly how we've been conditioned to think about Jesus. You teach in such a way that it's challenging to your hearers, that it exposes faith, it tests for faith. So worst case scenario, this is in your notes, kind of the first sub-point here, worst case scenario, Jesus' parables, they expose and they confirm the absence of faith. That should be an arresting reality. As you heard those parables read, there is every possibility that Jesus' parable revealed unbelief in your heart. I got to say it. That's what he says. There's every reason to believe in a room this size, parables read by Jesus had this effect on somebody in this room. They exposed, they confirmed the absence of faith in your heart. That's what Jesus says in verse 13. Look again at verse 13. You say, why does Jesus speak in parables? If anybody ever asks you that question, remember Matthew 13, 13. 13, 13. That should be memorable. Why does he do it? 13, 13. Jesus says, he answers that question explicitly right here in our Bibles. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. People heard Jesus' plain, explicit, unambiguous teaching. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. They heard stuff like that, and they didn't accept it. And we want to know why not. That was so clear. Why didn't people accept it? Verse 15, because why did they hear Jesus plain teaching and not understand 15? Because this people's heart has grown dull and with their ears they can barely hear. And don't miss this one. Their eyes they have closed. Their eyes they have closed. Ladies, because Some simply refuse to see what Jesus revealed to them. Jesus veils his teaching to match the veil of unbelief already shrouding their hearts. Did you catch that? They're already unbelieving. They've closed their ears. They've stopped them up. Their fingers are in their ears. Their hands are over their eyes. You say, why didn't they understand? Well, it's hard to understand when you're doing this, isn't it? When you're doing this. And Jesus veils his teaching to match the veil of unbelief that's already shrouding the hearts of his hearers. When people like this, people with fingers in their ears, hands over their eyes, when they encounter stories like we've just read, when their unbelief encounters a puzzling picture of reality, you know what they do? They scoff at it. They just think, that's a bunch of nonsense. That's a bunch of ambiguous, abstract, mumbo-jumbo. I I don't want anything to do with this guy. That's the effect they have. They push people away. 
You don't believe already. Jesus has talked to you clearly already. Parables come along and they say, all right, I'm going to veil my teaching to match that thing I already see on your heart. And then when you encounter a puzzling picture of reality, you say, that's not for me. That guy's crazy. That guy's abstract. That guy's esoteric. He's not speaking my language. I don't, I don't need him. They dismiss Jesus' teaching as so much cryptic nonsense. Friends, that is the very worst case scenario if you hear Jesus' parables and that's your response. You say, I don't care what he's got to say. It's not worth trying to think about. I don't think it fundamentally makes sense. I don't need to spend any more time thinking about it. Thank you very much, Jesus. Goodbye. Sometimes Jesus' parables have that effect. That's the worst case scenario, but it's not every case. And for that, we can say, thank you, Jesus. It's not every case that that's the effect. Because Jesus' parables also, this is in your notes, second little point, they also expose something else. They expose belief. Or as your notes put it, Jesus' pictures expose belief. That's what we see in the final part of the passage that we read this morning. We see it in the disciples' really precious response. Look at verse 36. Jesus' parables sometimes expose the presence of belief. Verse 36, Then he, that's Jesus, left the crowds and went into the house. And catch this, his disciples, they came to him and they say, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. Ladies, that's it. That's the answer right there. You, you run up against a puzzling picture that Jesus gives you. You know the best case scenario? It isn't, I understand everything I just read or heard. No, the best case scenario is you admit, Jesus, i got to have some help understanding what you just said. Jesus, I'm not put off by how puzzling that was. I'm going to hold on to you with all of the strength that you've given me, and I'm not, not going to let go until I understand. The disciples say, Jesus, we don't understand. They admit it, and they know exactly who can help them. Jesus, you've got to explain it to us. The disciples show us how to respond to Jesus' puzzling and veiled picture of reality. Don't let the parables put you off. Don't let them shake you off of Jesus. Don't let them put you off of Jesus, turn you away from Jesus. Hold on. Push through in faith just like the disciples did. Ask Jesus to help you understand. That should be a regular habit of yours over the next two months. As you come every week, you're, that's what we do as teachers, isn't it? Jesus, you've got to help me understand. That's what your response as a hearer is. You come every week and your posture is, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, give me understanding. That's your posture. And I'm telling you, Jesus loves, absolutely loves to answer prayers like that. He's more than willing. It's why he goes on to explain the parable of the weeds to his disciples. He explains it to them. They say, Jesus, I don't understand. We want to understand. We, we care enough to hear what you've got to say. Please explain it to us. And Jesus says, okay, I'll do it. Now, we might wonder, why didn't the disciples say, Jesus, could you explain the other parables too? How about the one about the leaven and the mustard seed? Why didn't you ask about those disciples, you knuckleheads? And I suspect Jesus may have, in some other setting not recorded in Matthew, explained those parables to the disciples as well. And we've only got the explanation of the parable of the weeds because God thought that was enough for us. 
And we've got the rest of the New Testament, which the Spirit uses to help us understand everything that God has said in the Word, right? That's what the Bible's for, and we've got it. The disciples didn't have that, so thank you for that, God. But these are the only two explanations of parables that we've got in our entire Bibles. The explanation of the parable of the soils and the explanation of the parable of the weeds. There's only two, and they're, they're found together only in Matthew. In fact, Matthew's gospel is the only gospel that has this second explanation, the explanation of the parable of the weeds. It's not found anywhere else. So we get this explanation that Jesus gives. But don't miss this. Even here, even when Jesus explains the parable to his disciples, even when they push past kind of the puzzling form of the teaching, there is still a challenge to be faced. After all, did you see how Jesus' explanation to his disciples ends? I found this super interesting when I was studying this. Look at the end of verse 43. Right at the tail of that explanation of the weeds, we read something that I think should surprise us. To his disciples, to whom he's just explained the parable of the weeds, Jesus concludes verse 43 saying, He who has an ear, let him hear. And I think we would have expected that line to come after the giving of the parable and the audience of the crowd. They're the ones who you need to say, he who has an ear, let him hear. You know the disciples' ear, they they seem to be exercising faith. Why did you say that to your disciples, Jesus? We don't expect that. They've shown faith. Why are you continuing to call for faith after you've explained the parable? because Jesus' parables require and expose faith in another way. They require faith to understand, but also faith to accept what's understood. Okay, I got to get through that puzzle. Jesus, I'm holding on. Okay, I'll explain it to you. And then when we get the explanation, Jesus says to you and to me, he who has an ear Let him hear. Now that you understand, will you accept it? What are you going to do with it? This precious parable that I've just explained to you, now that you know, what are you going to do with it? That's why Jesus' explanation here ends with a challenge to hear, to accept. Jesus' parables, they contain fresh and surprising insights about reality. And in every case, the surprise that they contain goes against what the disciples expected. The disciples, they push through the puzzle only to encounter a surprise. For example, in the parable of the weeds that Jesus here explains, we're told that God's kingdom would be established, but that God's enemies would not be immediately judged. Remember this? Do you want us to pull the weeds? Not now. The weeds, they'll be pulled, but they won't be pulled until the harvest. That's the secret. That's the hidden insight that this parable reveals. And I'm telling you, to this point in biblical history, that insight, that teaching would have surprised every single reader of the Bible. You're telling me that Messiah will establish his kingdom 
without judging his enemies? That's a surprising reality right there. We pushed through the puzzle of the weeds. We got through the form of the teaching. Now that we understand the teaching, there's a surprise included. What? Messiah has come, but our enemies are not going to be immediately judged? That is surprising indeed. After all, and this is in your notes, look at that text from Isaiah in your notes. The ancient prophet Isaiah said, foretold 700 years before Jesus gave these parables, he foretold that the Messiah would bring the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. That's Isaiah 61.2. Do you see it in your notes? I proclaim to you the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. And I'm telling you, Every reader, including the 12 apostles, they would have thought that those two things would have happened at precisely the same time. Simultaneously, coterminously, at the very same moment, salvation and judgment both conjoined. How else are we to read the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God? Well, according to Jesus... The year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, that and implies a 2,000 years and growing delay. Do you see that? I've established the year of the Lord's favor with Messiah's coming, but the day of vengeance has not yet come. And we're talking about a 2,000 year and growing gap. That's a surprising truth indeed. I didn't see that in Isaiah 61 verse 2. Did you? The disciples certainly didn't. He who has an ear, let him hear. I know it's surprising. According to Jesus, we're supposed to read a gap in that prophecy, which is astonishing. Now, in another place, this is in your notes, Jesus actually cites Isaiah 61 and 2. He's in Nazareth of Galilee. It's his first sermon. And he, he's given the role from the synagogue attendant. You remember, and he opens up Isaiah, and he reads Isaiah 61, 1. He reads Isaiah 61, 2, A. And then he stops and rolls up the scroll, hands it to the attendant, and you know what he says? He says, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And you think, are you going to read the rest of that verse? He, he doesn't. And what Jesus implies in that sermon in Luke 4, it's in your text, what he implies by leaving out Isaiah 61 2b, he says explicitly in this parable of the weeds, that judgment, those weeds won't be pulled right away. You're going to have to wait. They're going to grow right alongside of you even though the kingdom has been established. There's going to be a gap. Surprise, disciples. Are you willing to accept it? Jesus' parables, boy, they take faith to kind of push through their puzzling exterior, the way they're taught. But once you get to the inside, the teaching, it's going to take faith to accept what Jesus taught. And Jesus says, do you have ears to hear still? Or now you're going to leave? Will you listen? Will you believe? And don't miss... Yes, it's surprising, but don't miss the existential implications of this. Judgment is delayed. Do you know what that means? What did that mean for Peter and John? 
What did that mean for Jesus' disciple James? They died, didn't they? This meant real suffering would continue. This wasn't just sort of, oh, that's an interesting theological nicety you've just taught us. It's surprising, but I get it. This meant that God's people would be in Jesus' kingdom, yet still suffering and persecuted and troubled by the persistence of weeds and their enemies until the end of the age. This was no just light teaching. This is Jesus saying, you're going to continue to suffer. It ain't done yet. It's not done yet. Those weeds aren't going to be pulled, which means your life is going to be full of trouble until the harvest. Will you accept that? Will you believe that? The point is, ladies, it's not just the form of Jesus' teaching that tests our faith. It's the content of his teaching. It's not just the form, the parabolic, puzzling metaphor. Once you push through that, there's still faith required. What are we to make of this Jesus that we find here in Matthew 13? This Jesus who speaks in puzzles? Jesus really, really wants to reveal reality to us. But he'll do it only if you'll accept and believe everything that Jesus says. If your posture is one of Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. You know what I'm saying by that? I I don't understand, but I want to. I'm not put off. I believe, help my unbelief. All right, let me end with this. The Jesus you're going to meet this summer is puzzling and challenging for a reason, and I don't want us to miss it. Jesus is telling us by this puzzling way that he teaches, by the faith required to understand, he's telling us that he will not be domesticated. It's not going to be domesticated. He's not going to fit into our nice little boxes and, all right, Jesus fits over here. He kind of, you roll him out and he says what you want him to say and does what you want him to do. Uh, That would mean you're king and he's just your little toy. Jesus is king and he is not going to be domesticated. And he teaches in this way to underscore that reality. Will you submit to what he's got to say? Or will you kind of stiffen your neck and say, that's not how you should do it, Jesus? Jesus will not be domesticated. You got to come to him on his terms this whole summer. You got to come with a posture of humble, obedient faith. You've got to realize, too, that this Jesus, who won't be domesticated, who's king, is so ready and so willing to give you insight into the true nature of reality. He's a king who loves you absolutely. You say, how do you know that? He did something really, really great for you. Besides revealing reality to you, he gave his life for you. If you ever wonder, does Jesus love me? Don't forget about the cross. This Jesus really, really wants you to have insight into the true nature of reality. And he'll give it to you if you accept and believe and treasure everything he says. So sometimes... Our Bibles are hard to understand so that we'll call out to Jesus in humble faith. Do you ever have that experience? You're reading the Bible and you think, why has this got to be so hard? You ever ask that question? Surely you have. Why has this got to be so hard? Couldn't it be a little easier? Daniel 11, 2 through 20, come on. Okay. Did I ask that question to Jesus? Yes, I did. Okay. Why has it got to be like this? And Jesus says, will you be put off by the puzzling 
nature of this teaching or where you continue to believe that I am infinitely wise and I know what I'm doing and I've said what I said and how I said it for a reason. Will, will we submit to this king who reveals himself in an absolutely wise, if also surprising way? I want to challenge you this summer to submit happily to God's teaching through Jesus in the parables. Submit. Come with a posture of asking God to help you hold on even when the teaching is puzzling and when the content is surprising. Do it for your good and do it for his glory uh, and I'll be praying you do.